Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. This is the second last episode of the Inside Social Work podcast in its current format. I've been working behind the scenes on rebranding and repositioning uh, my skills and expertise into something a little different. This was, um, you know, a change after four years of running the podcast that I felt was time to make. Uh, the new podcast you'll be happy to hear will still be on this link so you'll be able to find it really easy and it's going to be called This Complex Life. It's still focusing on mental health and relationships and everything in between but more of a focus on what we can do as individuals or what we can do for those in our lives that we care about, for friends, for family, what parents can do for themselves, for their children. So it's really bringing together all the things that I've learned over the last few years, my experience as a therapist, as an accredited mental health social worker and family therapist and bringing that in and bundling that up into something a little more digestible for, for folk to be able to access. So have a listen, see what you like. It might be some things that you can use uh, in your work with clients or even for yourself. So on that note, I'll keep playing the current episode and I look forward to having you all follow me on this journey. Thanks so much so far. It's been amazing. Hello and welcome back. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Liz Marillis-Goff and Liz is an accredited mental health social worker who runs her own private practice called Breathe Therapy. Uh, She's a mindful trauma therapist and is really passionate about supporting women to heal from childhood and adult experiences of interpersonal violence and abuse. Liz has done some really incredible work and we talk about some of her social work journey and how she incorporates various techniques such as ACT, DBT and mindfulness into working with uh, women to recover from some of those experiences uh, and diagnoses such as PTSD, anxiety, um, OCD, and other sorts of things that can really stem from those early experiences that uh, women face. I hope you enjoy this episode with Liz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. Today I've got Elizabeth Marillis Goff or Liz joining me on the show. Welcome, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. So nice to be chatting to you. I love that um, online stuff can bring us together on different parts of Australia. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me a bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what you're doing and what's been your journey so far into social work? Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, currently I have my own private practice called Breathe Therapy um and that name will become more make more sense a bit later on as we keep chatting um and so I'm based in the Lower Hunter which is not far from Newcastle in New South Wales um and I predominantly do a lot of victim services work um so in New South Wales we have a scheme for victims of crime so I do see a lot of um majority of my clients are 
um, adults, but also some children um, who've experienced family and domestic violence and sexual assault and also child abuse. Um, yeah, so in terms of my journey into social work, um, I've always been really passionate about social justice, um, even from a young age. Um, and so, yeah, and just kind of, I guess, throughout my schooling journey, I um, started studying, um, I can't remember what it's called, in year 12 I did, um, oh, like a, um, what's it called? society and culture, something like that, um, like a sociology kind of subject for year 12, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, and so, yeah, when I was picking what uni degree to do, I um, it seemed an ob obvious choice. Um, so, yeah, I went straight in from school, um, was pretty green, but, um, yeah, definitely was a steep learning curve. <laughs> It's, I really love hearing people's different journeys. So it's really nice to hear that social justice and having exposure to a subject in high school that could funnel you into social work. Like how awesome is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really cool. <laughs> so you went straight into social work. How did you kind of end in private practice and in therapy? So are you an accredited mental health social worker or do you have other sorts of um, modalities that you've kind of added on top of that yeah so yes yeah, so I've got my accreditation um, as well um, I guess I it's funny when I was at uni I always wanted to work um, in child protection and I did a prac um, one of my early I think it might be my first prac um, in child protection and I pretty quickly was like this is not for me <laughs> Um, so even though I had that strong ideal around um, protecting children, um, certainly that type of work, um, yeah, and the, the, you know, high risk and enormous caseloads and, um, yeah, I just knew that was not for me at all. Um, so then I pretty quickly started, um, I guess, sort of looking in other areas and that's when I really started getting drawn more to, um, kind of counselling and those kinds of things um, and then yeah so I guess career-wise I've um, just kind of always ended up in roles you know like it was sort of a little bit it would just kind of I ended up in those roles like I worked sort of for family support services and things like that um, and I was always uh, in some case management type roles but would always gravitate towards more of that kind of a therapy role so that's when I really started um, yeah, doing some um, applying for the, those positions, um, more counselling kind of positions and then getting additional training, um, you know, CBT Act and all those kinds of things um, and DBT. So, yeah, and it's kind of that combination of um, a bit of luck around, you know, where you know, things that would sort of land in your lap. Um, like I was part of this fantastic project um, at a local family support service um, where we were actually running um, a DBT program for free, um, which just doesn't exist, you know, exist through a health service, but it's, you know, I think it's got a two-year wait list. And um, so it's incredibly hard to get into. So um, it's not funded anymore, but for a while there, we were able to provide that. So that meant that I was able to get the training and have incredible supervision and support um, in that DBT program. Um, so, yeah, just different things like that. But I guess my... 
most recent kind of couple of roles, I worked um, at the sexual assault service in health for about the last five, the five years prior to starting my practice two years ago, uh, 18 months ago. Um, and yeah, that's where I probably feel like um, the, I guess my skill set in terms of, yeah, working with trauma really um, grew um, and that passion yeah really grew while I was working there so yeah it was actually I'm glad you mentioned your interest for trauma because I was going to um just unpack the DBT on a few episodes prior we had um a DBT trainer and specialist sort of talk about DBT and that it's often used for complex trauma and negative life experiences um it's often associated with borderline personality disorder but not necessarily Tell me about how you've integrated that. You know, you've talked about, um, you know, we've talked off radio, off radio, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, we've talked, you know, corresponded around sort of your mindfulness work. Like how do you combine all of this? So you sort of talk about being a mindful trauma therapist. Yeah. What is that? What do you kind of bring into it? Yeah. How do all these things kind of connect? Yeah, yeah. I know. And I, I do feel like... Um, I think most of us do work a bit eclectically and, and, and pick and choose the bits we like. Um, so I guess for me, so mindfulness is, um, so DBT is broken into four components and one of the components is mindfulness. Um, and that was probably where I was first really exposed. I had previously been exposed to it as well, but um, yeah, I guess that was where it kind of deepened my understanding of mindfulness. Um, and then I guess sort of personally, I was also starting to really explore yoga and, and meditation for my own kind of health and well-being as well. Um, and I guess, so it's, again, it's that kind of combination of, you know, that my noticing my the, the personal benefit and the growth that I've you know, had from that um, and also um, seeing the benefit for, for my clients. So, um, yeah, so in terms of being the mindful trauma therapist, I guess um, obviously my focus is really on trauma um, and I'm also, so I'm mindful as a therapist and also teaching mindfulness as a really core skill in treating trauma. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the skills in DBT are really helpful because um, I guess the main thing, the reason I'm really big on mindfulness and um, I think 90% of my clients walk through the door and when I say that word, they're like, oh, mindfulness, tried it once, didn't work, don't like it, I'm not doing that breathing thing. <laughs> um, That's so true. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I know, I know, I've heard it, I know, I know. Um, but, you know, it's so varied and so I always say to people, let, we're going to try, you know, a hundred different things. Um, and I promise that something's going to work for you. <laughs> um, and so, um, but it's really about helping people to, um, there's the two parts of it that I love. The first is that really non-judgmental stance. Um, so people who've experienced trauma are obviously much more likely to have a really harsh inner critic um, and have a lot of um, self-blame and shame and really negative core beliefs um, and so just by introducing that non-judgmental element um, you know noticing that you know pain in your side at the moment 
um, and not judging it as bad, just sitting with it and noticing it without a judgment. That's really hard for these people. It's hard for all of us, but we get better with practice. Um, and also um, that then kind of helps them to start to utilise that in other areas of their life. And also it's about um, really increasing awareness. Um, so even, you know, um, in providing psychoed around um, the impacts of trauma, like I even just had a client this afternoon and she was saying that, um, she had some an event that happened over the weekend which sent her right back into that fight-flight state. She was really hypervigilant. She went to work. She said, I was just really on edge. She said, but I knew exactly what it was this time. I knew that this was this old response. It wasn't, you know, she said in the past that would have just absolutely unraveled me. Um, but just knowing that this is what's happening to me. And then she was able to practice some of those grounding things, which she said, oh, it was really hard. She said, but I kept trying. I said, yeah, but you stay through your whole shift, <laughs> you know, and you, you didn't have a panic attack and um, all those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, so it, it's just increasing that awareness is, is so helpful as well. It is. It's such a helpful strategy, and I think people underestimate the helpfulness of mindfulness like it's across so many different modalities you know you mentioned act before dbt i mean all of them because you can't notice if you're not aware otherwise you're avoiding you're numbing you're distracting absolutely it's so important um, you've got a special interest in working with women to heal from childhood trauma um, and how those adult experiences can you know of interpersonal violence and abuse and you just mentioned an example of someone sort of trigger being triggered by old memories and old responses what's what are some of the impacts of those experiences on women's health mental health physical health relationships mm. I mean that's a, a, low, a huge question yeah, um, yeah but how do we kind of see that showing up yeah um it's yeah the impacts are huge it's they're so enormous um so uh, so obvious ones are obviously um like ptsd and complex ptsd um and i would say probably 90 percent of my clients are exhibiting um, symptoms of those um as well as um you know a range of kind of anxiety disorders um whether that's generalized anxiety ocd those kinds of things um some depression, um, you know, much higher risk of suicide um, and self-harm. Um, and also things like I mentioned, like panic attacks, lower self-esteem and self-worth um, and, and shame is a really big one. Um, they're also, in terms of physical health, I mean, they're much more likely to sort of have um, like immune health problems, um, gastrointestinal problems. So like irritable bowel syndrome, things like that, um, just a whole range of different health, health difficulties that arise. Um, and they're also more likely to um, be further re-victimised. Um, and so that's another reason why I'm really passionate about um, educating women and supporting them in that healing journey um, because without having an understanding of what happens in their bodies physiologically, um, 
I'll give an example. So, um, for example, if you're raised in a home where your parents are arguing all the time and there's a violence in the home, um, on a physiological level, even though, you know, your heart might be racing and there's some of those fight-flight responses start to happen um, or, you know, or even some numbing and those kinds of things, um, there's an element of it, even though you don't like it, that becomes a bit normal for you. And so um, you're much more likely to then go into a violent relationship as an adult because even though there's, you know, elements of um, of the relationship, particularly, you know, the violence that they don't like, there's also sort of a familiarity to it. And so um, in helping women to really unpack um, and understand the impacts of what they've been through and, and understand their body responses, um, you know, they have all these light bulb moments and then they're much more able to understand what a safe relationship feels like. Um, and how to create that safety. As you were saying about that light bulb moment, one of my clients came into mind literally, you know, we did this psychoeducation and she's seeing someone new and she had that moment. She woke up in the middle of the night being distressed but realised through our conversations the distress came from nothing being wrong, that -hmm. her body was so used to that fight or flight response that, stable or calm felt uncomfortable it felt um she wasn't dysregulated but it felt just felt odd and having to to coach her through stable healthy secure relationships attachment no it doesn't have to be an explosive fight and then massive apologies it's not these big highs and lows and then how to find excitement and connection and spontaneity in that safety and not need, yeah, not find it boring, but still find healthy ways. And it's, it's so true that all of these things, it's, it's just so important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm mentally checking off all those things you mentioned, like, yeah, I can see it in people, the gastrointestinal issues, the, your body's always in that cortisol arousal, you're going to have immune issues, um, getting sick more often, more fatigue. Yes. You know, your body is processing all that cortisol and adrenaline. So then it gets kind of into the slump, like there's such a, it's it's the biopsychosocial model. And I think people forget that, that you it all interacts. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, you've talked a little bit around um, the physical side, and you mentioned sort of, you know, PTSD, anxiety, OCD, depression. What What are the, the challenges of living with those mental health challenges or mental illnesses? Like day to day, what are people struggling with? What does it make it hard to, to do? Yeah. One of the things I find really interesting is so many of the women I work with have lived with these symptoms for years and years and years. Oh, you can, I'm sh- those, you can't see us, but I'm just shaking my head and <laughs> nodding. It's so true. Like decades. Yes. Decades. Yeah. And they convince themselves that this is some kind of normal um, or not even that they convince themselves it's normal, but I guess, um, there's just a tolerance around um, I'm just on edge all the time and I don't sleep well and, um, you know, if I do particular things, I, I panic or, um, 
yeah or even I've got a few a few clients who are socially phobic so you know I just don't go to the shops ever (laughs) I just do all my shopping online um you know and that's just how it's been for years and years and the thought of having to go to a shopping center sends up into a panic um so you know I mean people are incredibly resourceful (laughs) and resilient um but I guess they usually come to to therapy at some point because yes something has kind of um uh yeah come up that they feel like okay okay this is having an impact and for a lot of people it's when they have children um so for some some of the women I work with you know they might have just had a baby and then you know the thought of you know if they were say sexually assaulted by a family member the thought of that family member having anything to do with that child um sends them into such a panic that they realize I need to I need to deal with this or it might even be that their children are a bit older so people will come to me and say you know my daughter's the age that I was when my sexual abuse started um I need and I realize this is my stuff I need to deal with um so things like that but I do find that it's often about, um, you know, or a few mums have brought their kids. They said, I want you to see my kids. And I say, okay, come in for an initial session so we can talk about what's going on. And then in the process of unpacking that, you know, they've grown up in DV and um, and that family violence and, and all of that, I sort of say to them, and have you got support? And they just kind of look at me <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> um, and hadn't realised the impact it had had on them as well because they've just been so busy keeping on, um, you know, especially if they've kind of, you know, had to really leave in a crisis mode and those mm. kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I feel like I've lost track of the question now. But, no, um, you've answered it perfectly. Oh, okay. Because, <laughs> and I think you you really um, highlighted something with the parenting that some people tolerate stuff for themselves, but they wouldn't accept it for someone they care about. So there's that, you know, you mentioned earlier that there's that um, shame and that negative, you know, harsh critic but people would never say out loud, we'd hope, to someone they love the things they say to themselves. So yes. seeking support for your kids, for some people it's like, yeah, it's a no-brainer. And it's like, well, what about yourself? And then there's that, ah. Oh. Yes. And as you were talking about, you know, women holding on to this for years and the pain and the discomfort, it, it, I had to hold back tears because I can see you know, I've seen, I've worked with people like that who they're like, yes. yeah, but this has been happening for 20 years, 30 years. And they didn't know, like, they're just kind of acclimatized, some acclimatized to the weight of yes. that, um, the toll that that takes on their energy, on their life. Like things just, they forgot what it felt like to be light. Yes. Um, and yes. to experience joy and, and pleasure. Like it was, you know, just survival for yes. so many and that's huge because that's all the stuff that gets taken away when someone experiences that kind of violence and abuse. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So you're working with, you know, with mostly, uh, you know, women with trauma, you're hearing these difficult stories, you're looking at, you know, helping them maybe do some parenting skills, heal themselves while also preventing some of this stuff in their children. Like that's that's quite a lot. Like how do you hold that passion but protect yourself from that burnout and and vicarious trauma especially being someone who you know social social justice has been your thing um (laughs) since you were younger like 
that's hard to be that engaged in that area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's a great question because I think it's something that it's it's like one of those topics that gets talked about a lot, um, but also kind of minimized a bit as well, I think. Um, so one thing I do really want to highlight is um, the impacts of um, not being supported within an organizational sense, um, which was one of the factors that led me to move into private practice. Um, um, and is you know similar for quite a few of my, my colleagues that I talk to as well um, in private practice. Um, so I guess um, you know, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that um, you know even organisations can have policies around this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's important to you know have mechanisms in place to be yeah to support yourself <laughs> um, outside of that. Um, I think. For me, um, it's kind of twofold. So there's obviously the obvious things around taking care of myself, having clear boundaries. And, and I, I guess I'm really starting to even um, get really specific with those boundaries. So, um, you know, sometimes um, like there was a phase where I was just kind of accepting, like people would ring up and like, I was just kind of accepting whatever referrals came through. Um, and now I'm being a little bit more discerning around, actually, I've got a really heavy caseload of kids who are all going through court and there's a lot going on. So actually, no, another child going through court isn't, I'm not actually able to hold that at the moment. Um, so trying to get really, really clear around those things. Um, and also um, boundaries around my time. So trying to, um, and this is a work in progress, but trying to structure time in my work calendar for, you know, for the admin tasks and for the oh, letters. Admin. And for the, <laughs> yes, I know, I know. Um, but there's just, um, you know, there's just always bits and pieces, the odd email, the, you know, following things up, the support letter. There's just always those bits and pieces. And for a while there, I just had this running to-do list and it felt like I was only adding to it and never crossing things off. So actually blocking out the time to do the things on the list. Um, yeah, but also, I guess, um, in terms of that self-care stuff, um, again, I'm kind of really learning the importance like this stuff's hard, like the self-care stuff's hard. <laughs> um, you know, it's easy enough to say, oh, yeah, exercise and drink water and do the things. But um, I'm also a, a mom of two young kids. Um, so, you know, I've got a lot of commitments outside of work as well. And, you know, so sometimes self-care is actually like making myself get out of bed earlier than, you know, what I really want to, to make sure that I do do some of those things to take care of myself. Um, but certainly, yeah, meditation and, um, and yoga are a big part of what, and journaling are big parts of what helps me stay connected to me and what's really important and, um, I guess, again, going back to that kind of real awareness of, hang on, I'm really on edge lately and feeling like a bit of a headless chalk and, you know, what needs to give here or, you know, what's taking up, what you know, what's kind of creating this level of energy in me and, and trying to adapt from there. So, yeah. 
it, I mean, that sounds like that mindfulness thing you were talking about of yeah. actually <laughs> checking in and seeing where am I at, what's my body telling me, and then putting in place some things that can be supportive of reducing that physical distress or the, the mental clutter. Yes. Instead yes. of just squishing it down, squishing it down, squishing it down, and then burning out. Yes, yes. Oh, that but sounds so hard. But it, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. Um, absolutely. And that's what I always say, that, you know, to my clients too. I'm like, um, this works really hard. <laughs> um, looking after yourself is really hard um, because we think that the thing, you know, oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine and chill in the lounge. We think in the moment that indulgent is going to make us feel relaxed and better. But actually the next morning when you wake up and you feel a bit off because you, you know, the wine. Had two glasses. Or three. Two glasses feel a bit off um, and you slept in and now you're running late and you actually were meant to do something last night. You know, that's not self-care. That's, you know not looking after you so so yeah being mindful and, of that and that's such a important message to to or the audience listening because everybody shares very similar things like there there there's a big overlap in what people find helpful and it's doing that with intentionality so yes. um and I, I know for us in Melbourne went through really long lockdowns um you know it was keeping up some of that stuff was really hard but actually recognizing my work preparing for my day has to happen before I put you know stick my bum on the chair it's yes. preparing maybe my meal from the night before having a think about what to do for for breakfast setting my alarm enough to go for a, a walk or have a stretch or have a shower like actually you know we all make mistakes and we all get scrambled sometimes but yes of course you know, I think when you're working with that kind of complexity we need to really take care of ourselves because it's 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 really um, draining work, like emotionally yeah. quite fatiguing and demanding. And yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. You know, I'm sure you've had that time where there are some clients you know that you you can't book anyone else after them, or you need a mm -hmm. an hour break because that dysregulation has an impact on us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and also, of course, really like the obvious things like um, having really good supervision and um, I'm also, you know, um, starting some sort of peer supervision type groups, those kinds of things. So some of those, yeah, a bit more informal sort of supports as well, really important. Yeah. That's amazing. If there was one piece of advice that you could impart to the audience either about the content of the work you do or how you look after yourself, um, you know, what would it be? Mm. I think um, it's a tricky question. Um, I think one thing that regardless of what area of social work you're in, one of the things that has been really helpful for me, which I would encourage everyone to do, um, is to really know yourself deeply. Um, and so I really believe that some of the best therapists have had therapy. Um, you're aware of your own background. Um, most of us who go into social work, um, you know, yes, are passionate about social justice and some of those things, but we've also often have had our own, you know, different experiences of um, not having needs met or perhaps even experiencing violence or abuse um, ourselves, which... Um, 
you know, if you go into try and help other people without that awareness of your own triggers and, and your own, what you're bringing into it, um, that can be really dangerous. Um, and so I think, again, over the years, um, yeah, I've had some really great supervisors and it's kind of helped me to go, oh, I think this is touching on something else. And I'm like, oh, I think so too. <laughs> um, and then, you know, go and, and, and have some, yeah, private um, therapy to just kind of explore that more. Um, and yeah, again, it's hard and it's, um, you know, it's difficult to do that. But where it leads you to is um, a place where you're, again, so much more aware, um, which makes you just such a better therapist um, and support worker or whatever your role is. Um, because you feel really comfortable in your own skin and you know that when you're sitting with a client and you start to notice your nervous system getting activated, you know, you can kind of in that moment, obviously you can sort of regulate yourself, hopefully you can regulate yourself in that moment. But when that person works out, sort of be able to check in and be like, was that my stuff or their stuff? Like what came up just then? Um, and kind of just, yeah, deal with it rather than, yeah, as you said, pushing things down and, um, and getting it in a total muddle so yeah that was that would be probably one of the things I'd really like to yeah I think impart. that's great to highlight the importance of that exploration into knowing yourself and that's not not book learned that's not uni smarts this is the work you do after or during yeah yeah definitely definitely is there something, maybe, maybe it overlaps a little bit with that question, but is there something that you wish you knew when you first started studying social work? So you had that interest in social justice, mm. you went straight into social work. What would you have loved to have told little Liz? <laughs> yeah, um, it's also a really good question. It's a tricky one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to um, word it right, but it's about sort of, as I said, I came straight from school. I was, I was really idealistic <laughs> about the level of change that I could um, create, generate. <laughs> um, and so I think that, um, and, and this is probably also because I'm a little bit, um, you know, have a bit of those perfectionist tendencies. Um, I, I think I, I wish I had known, I wish I could tell myself <laughs> back then that, um, you know, oh, I don't even know how to say it. Like basically that um, the change that you can create can be, it doesn't have to be on a revolution level. <laughs> Um, that actually, and this is what I, part of what I love, the way I think about my work now, which is also another kind of way of fighting that burnout. Um, I do, I'm starting to, to run some more, some group work online. And um, so for me, it's like, not only am I teaching my clients about 
trauma, supporting them to heal and, and out of their experiences, that's then having an impact on their children. Um, and in the group work experiences, it's decreasing their isolation. And a lot of these women are also becoming advocates of social justice in their circles. Um, so it, it's kind of these ripple effects, I guess. Whereas I think when I first started, um, you know, I just wanted to change the world and stuff. <laughs> I love that. I, that's, I feel like I would have loved to have heard that, that the pressure to feel like it has to be, you know, create an NGO or do some amazing yes. program and realise each interaction builds connection, builds trust, builds safety. Each person might, you know, we can start to scaffold conversations around, you know, respect and relationships and good health. And each person that does that successfully, that, that has a ripple effect and hundreds of those do change the world. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's why social workers are amazing. I know we're the best, right? <laughs> really, really, totally, totally biased, and yes, hundred percent. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, if any listeners want to find out a bit more about what you offer or where they can find you, what's the best way for them to have a snoop and get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a website, which is breathetherapy.com.au. Um, and I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook, which is Breathe Therapy Oz. So AUS um, is the handle or whatever. Um, still learning the social media stuff. Um, but yeah, so you can catch me that way. And just through the website, yeah, you can send me an email, um, get in touch if you have any questions. Um, and likewise, if you're interested in referring anyone for um, the group work that I offer, um, I still need to update my website with that. But um, hopefully by the time this airs, um, that will be done. Um, and it runs, it's, it's all online. So, so women from all over Australia can potentially join, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, do reach out and get into touch. Great. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes for, for folk. And I've just found you on Instagram, so I'll follow you. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for today. Thank you. It's, it's been a real honor. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. The Inside Social Work Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.